Hey, it's Kyle Meredith, host of the Kyle Meredith with podcast, presented by WFPK at WFPK.org and the Consequence Podcast Network. It's a series that puts the spotlight on iconic musicians and actors, inviting them to drop by and talk about their latest projects, whether it's albums, TV shows, films, or beyond. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Here it goes. Without Spinal Tap, there is no Tenacious D. Whoa. <laughs> Man. We get great stories and the biggest scoops from people like Garbage's Shirley Manson, the 1975's Maddie Healy, Jack Black and Kyle Gass of Tenacious D, Maya Hawk, Kiefer Sutherland, and everyone in between. New episodes arrive every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. You can find Kyle Meredith with on the Consequence Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. There is a podcast that is a world unto itself. A podcast as boundless as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the place between light and shadow. Science Science and superstition. You've entered the fifth dimension. The latest series from the Consequence Podcast Network will open the door into Jordan Peele's new revival of The Twilight Zone, and it will go as far as the limits of the mind itself. Subscribe to The Fifth Dimension. Consequence Podcast Network. to all of you pod people out there, pretty pod peoples. I'm your host, Leo Phillips, and this is another edition of This Must Be The Gig, your little backstage pass to the world of live music. Each and every week, I strive, I sweat, I labor to bring you a fascinating conversation from the beating heart of the live music and performance scene. And that could really mean chatting to a musician or a festival founder, a choreographer, a comedian, an actor, really anyone just as obsessed with performance in the way that we are. But before we dig into this week's fascinating interview, let's check in with our constant companion here at TMBTG Studios, Giggle Giggle Engineer Adam. Hello! Hey! Hey! It's episode 50! 50! 5-0, can you For believe it? The Bravo fans, it's episode 50. It's episode 50 states. It's episode 50 gates of wisdom or 50 gates of impurity in Kabbalah. It's episode 51st states. It's episode 5th, the magic number in nuclear physics. It's episode 50... 
million dollars, which is what we deserve for doing this podcast. It's episode Canadian brand of beer called 50 Ale, created in 1950 by Labatt Breweries to commemorate 50 years of partnership. I'm beginning to think you did a little more research than I did this week. It's episode... 5-0 slang for police officers and a warning that police are approaching. And by research, I mean maybe printed out Wikipedia. It's 50, which is the speed limit in kilometers per hour of Australian and Canadian roads with unspecified limits. Wait, are you serious? Yeah, wow. Oh, wow. Hey, how about that? It's episode 50 in the 1994 action movie <laughs> Speed, which depicts a Los Angeles cop, Keanu, our babe, Keanu Reeves, who must rescue civilians on a bus that has a bomb rigged to it, which will detonate if the bus's speed drops below episode 50 miles per hour. So basically what we're saying is we've done this for 50 episodes now. We've done this exact bit yes. for 50 episodes. Absolutely. Talk to me. I just want to say it's been an absolute honor working on this podcast with you. Oh, that's really kind. I yeah. wasn't expecting that. Yeah, no, I feel like this is a good celebration of all of the incredible work you do as and you? the best interviewer in the game. I'm saying it. Best engineer in the game. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Just so you know, in case you're one of those listeners that hasn't heard all 49 previous episodes, you got a lot of catching up to do. I can't believe we're on 50. I know. it's What a, what a brilliant milestone. I know. It feels like we've gotten really far, but also, where are we? You know? Because we started hitting it out of the park at the very beginning. You've got episodes the, who with... Who was in the park? With, who was hitting? You're hitting. You're hitting the interview out of the park. <laughs> interview in the park it's, i like my things contained well you like to keep it contained but contained in these past 49 episodes you've got interviews with you go. david byrne shirley manson johnny marr john darneal jamila woods pew, pew. zola jesus natalie press we've had a good run yeah, there's some really incredible episodes back there in the backlog, which are all still available. So if this is your first episode, go back and listen to them all. And while you're on your phone searching for those episodes, leave us a note about how much you're enjoying it at TMBTGpod, TMBTGpod. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Find it all there. Better yet. Although we have to be honest. Yes. What are we, we honest? We don't post on Twitter. Or Instagram very oh, much. <laughs> but but you could still message us. You can still message us. And you can find me at Lior Phillips. That's a better way to find and us too. And you can email us, which we've been getting so many emails lately. Yes, it's been a real uptick. It's been a real uptick. <laughs> <laughs> the email is thismustbethegig at gmail.com. So message us there if you want to recommend a guest, if you want to tell us about your favorite concert. But even better... Tell us about your favorite concert experience by leaving it as a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Mm -hmm. That could be Apple Podcasts. It could be Spotify. It could be Stitcher. We're everywhere, baby. (laughs) (laughs) I hope, you know, again, I think I might have mentioned this last time. Like, I hope that we don't die in this moment because that's going to be the last thing you say. You must always be careful. Of the, the, your lasting words. I say baby too. I say baby too. So each week we've been giving a shout out to someone that's left us an amazing review. 
I think we should we like start to embarrass everybody. I think we should start reading the review itself so I can embarrass you a little oh, bit. Lord. How would you like that? Okay. This one, Ooh. this week's shout out goes out to Rary. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. R-A-R-R-Y <laughs> in the UK who had this wonderful note. Oh, I'm scared. Genuinely my favorite interviewer, host, podcast person of all time. Not talking about me. Must be not talking about me. <laughs> the funniest, most natural and informative podcast. I feel like I've stumbled across gold. Thank oh. you. Make 100 more and then some more after that, please. Oh, those are some incredibly kind they words are, of support. And guess what, Rary? We're halfway there. We are halfway to Rary's goal of 100 episodes to listen to, so we got to keep going just for Rary. But let's return the attention because it feels too overwhelming. <laughs> let's return the attention to this week's incredible chat. It's our first report from the heart of Moogfest, which everybody now knows and should know already. It is in Durham, North Carolina. It's this little festival that celebrates all things Mogan Electronics. And it is covering a lot of uh, newly built things on site. And people's fixation with how things are made. What artists use on stage. How far they can take technology and the existential link between technology and performance. And to kick off our coverage and also to celebrate our 50 i couldn't have asked for another better guest we've got an interview with the ever vibrant and continuously fascinating passionate and powerful madam gandhi who is a force when you are around her i think we giggled around durham for probably two hours, I was locked into an honest-to-God vault with this <laughs> activist and musician and artist, Kieran Gandhi. <sighs> it was enlightening and inspiring and sweet and super interesting. And we joined occasionally on mic by her partner, Michelle, who was just the loveliest being in the world and I, I I loved hanging out with the two of them. We dug into Kieran's feminist activism, including her future as female playlist, which features exciting up and coming female identifying artists, as well as her free menstruating run through the London Marathon. We chatted all about that. And also her experience drumming live for MIA. Uh, TV on the radio and Thievery Corporation, three gargantuan bands that have uh, been very formative in my own uh, music fandom. And growing up between New York and India and the mystic depth of astrology, which we got to geek out over and uh, hold each other's hands and be very, uh, very present with this all because it was a, a huge honor and blessing to be able to share an hour with somebody like this and also to challenge things which i feel is so often um, overlooked absolutely sometimes a person yeah you'll you'll have a conversation with someone and they're not really open to challenging themselves or, or, or being present challenged or being present yeah and i'm not talking about mindfulness i'm speaking of uh listening interacting going through a mind map and uh, working out a puzzle through that and uh, reflecting on the industry from a perspective that she comes from, which is activism and performance, which is so magnetic. 
But let us not be delayed. Happy 50, everybody. <coughs> this is me and Madam Gandhi. Enjoy. Bye. So, hello. Hello. I feel like I've known you for years. I, <laughs> I also feel weird suddenly holding a microphone. Because maybe we should give some context. So for the last hour, we have been giggling in the windy city of Durham. <laughs> Is that how you describe it? No. Definitely. It was windy. It's kind of strangely. But do you get affected by the wind? I feel very affected by the wind. I do. Like sniffly and like. Yeah. yeah for sure. Also emotionally. I feel like everybody's issues just get blown around. Wow. And I feel. That's profound. Yeah. We, so we were just been laughing for the past hour about uh, the water sign trifecta that we are. <laughs> I had my girlfriend Michelle sitting next to me. We were eating some food and then Lior came and joined and sat down. And then instantly after five minutes of hanging out, <laughs> I guessed accurately that she was a Scorpio. I and hate we had that the- it was accurate, but I kind of feel I'm, I'm proud. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, the thing about a Scorpio is that you also don't want to be found out. <laughs> so, like, there's so much about me that's a private, mm. not mysterious, private. Mm. And I feel like I'm okay with you knowing, you know? Oh, I appreciate like, that. I'm okay Thank after you. five minutes. That's very sweet. Yeah. So, we had our, I'm, I rep the Pisces, Michelle was repping the Cancer, and then we had Leor repping the Scorpio, and we were just <laughs> bonding and laughing over that. And if you don't believe about star signs... Mm to the invisible audience that we are chatting to now Mm. then you should start reading up about it it's so accurate it is it's really interesting i think for me it's the pattern recognition of it just like for how much as a reporter you must travel and as a musician Mm. uh i travel i've found that every day i'm with new people and there's just something very grounding and it's sort of a really tiny entry point um Mm. into someone's personality so true and it's definitely not the big picture you know the energies manifest themselves in really different ways but i've always loved um having the empathy of understanding where someone else is coming from just from a little bit of that shape of their personality yeah especially when you're meeting new people having familiarity is so important because familiarity there's something homely about it and connecting and i feel like that's also weirdly to to go back to your music Mm. you humanize your art your your art is part of you it's not separate completely correct and I feel like just connecting with you for, you know, the last hour, it feels exactly like it does listening to your music, to be honest. That's obviously much more intensified, more powerful, but there's something so human about what you do. And that sounds so elementary for me to say, but it's so it's the thing that I've always found unbelievable about your art is that there's this this rawness that feels very... Oh my god, this lights just went off. It's kind of nice actually. Yeah, I don't mind nice. it. Okay, so that we also are in a vault. Uh, do you know the history of this vault? I, I do. Don't know so this, ho- this hotel that we're staying at um, and in Durham is called the 21C Museum Hotel. And I do believe it used to be a bank. And so mm. the place that we are currently doing the interview is in the basement of the hotel in a literal <laughs> bank vault where we can see the sort of lockers uh, where money used to be kept. And the lights just got went off for a moment, which is why we were giggling. Yeah. But to your point <laughs> earlier about making music that's human, I really appreciate that. And mm. I also really appreciated that you said that you felt like my personality is connected to the art and vice versa Mm -hmm. and i was going to mention that um when i was much younger i would feel really free in myself um Mm. when i was living 
in New York and then when I went on to live in India. Uh, but when I came back to the States after living in India, I was nine years old and mm. I was full of life, full mm. of personality, full of self-confidence. And it was interesting because when I came back to go to this sort of all-girls private school on the Upper East Side of Manhattan for those two years, sixth and seventh grade, I remember being really badly bullied by the mm. other girls. Mm. And that experience, you know, almost decades later, I still reflect on it as something that influenced me a lot and has developed my empathy to never mm. want to be ever inaccessible or too cool or mm. mean or too high art i'm not interested in that because i knew what it was like to be on the other side of something that was exclusive and so that's why i try my best to make the music the feminism the intention of it all very mm. love energy driven and very um, um, human mm. and then the other thing i wanted to add quickly was a friend of mine who's also a scorpio out in <laughs> london yeah. she's a rock and roller there uh, her name is charlie jeffries and she was telling me she read this message of if you uh, are friends with a musician or you know a musician or you're dating a musician like as soon as the show is over, do not talk about anything but the show <laughs> for the next hour afterwards. And then it was like, oh, scratch that for the next two weeks afterwards. And I was you laughing. You have to analyze it. You for to, sure. You have to break every yeah. single thing apart. Because it's us. It's, and that was the point exactly. that I wanted to make. Yeah. It's just so connected to us. Yeah. Totally. And I love that you said that. I'm sorry to hear, though, obviously, there's so much about moving to a new place which mm. I feel like we almost chatted about earlier and you know feeling that pressure from people and feeling bullied mm -hmm. it's such a strange thing to go through when you're so young you can fight for yourself but not in the way that you know would be right for a bully the bully's not gonna stop but how do you feel not that it's informed the way that you are now but going through it can you even identify with that person now who you were then i i definitely can because i feel like i go through phases of it in the sense or even like year-long phases of it where i feel like my most top self and then i feel like a rebirth where i'm starting over again and then i feel maybe i'm perceiving it or not but i'll feel mm. like i'm not my brightest best self and that i connect with that time mm. but it's interesting but because i came out of it having when I went through that phase, the thing that came out of it was the thing that got me out of it was twofold. I had this teacher um, who was a cancer and who really was so loving to me and just so encouraging of mm. me. And that gave me a lot of self-worth. And I, I think of that time. Mm. Then I think the second thing that really helped me was just investing in my own skill sets and learning the drums and learning DJing and then not needing external validation, but mm. just knowing for myself that I was a cool kid because mm. I was doing cool other things. And escaping into that world. Exactly. Absolutely. And drawing sort of um, self-worth from other sources mm. instead of like, what shoes do I have? What bag do I have? The cool kid things to the do. The important things when you're younger. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I think uh, I remember those two lessons, even to this day even when i work with younger kids you know i go mm. into the jail system the the for to teach beat making to incarcerated youth twice a, a month in downtown la and even when i mentor them i'm always telling them the same thing it's like listen as soon as you're back out while you're in here even we're gonna invest in our skill sets we're gonna learn djing we're gonna learn mm. beat making because it can really uh bring you some joy i also think there's something about not only going into a craft when you're that age, but also learning something and then being very good at it. Mm. There's like two different, you know, it's, it's a different thing, but 
I love how learning an instrument and or exploring that artistic self mm-hmm. within you when you're so young, mm. your brain and everything's forming mm. whilst you're exploring it. Mm. So it's almost like this weave, mm. you know, that's connecting. And I feel like that those those younger years are so important to totally. do it. It's not, and it's not like everybody has to learn an instrument when they're younger. Mm. But I also feel like coming out from having that adversity and dealing with, you know, issues at school, mm. it's not escapism as such as it is like empowerment. Mm. You know, although I can't stand that word at the moment. But you know, it's a, <laughs> I don't know why I've like got a funny thing about that word. I know but, what you mean because the word empowerment sounds like somebody else still has to give the person the power in order for them to feel like they have power. I understand. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I couldn't. I haven't been able to like actually. I use the word, it. but I definitely I do Me understand too. that criticism. Yeah. It's a very good point when I say I'm empowering the youth. It sounds like I'm the one with power when giving it to them. To- totally. Yeah. Um, but I do think there can be a positive version of that, which is that when I analyze it through the lens of privilege, mm, I mm. often try to teach others that it's we're not here to feel guilty for our privilege. We're here to say, what privilege do I have? Mm-hmm. Let's be honest about these different kinds of privileges. And how do I use them I use for good? Absolutely. And yeah. so that's why in that context, I don't mind the word empower because I do want folks, especially the men, you know, mm-hmm. especially the straight folks in the context of the queer folks, especially mm-hmm. folks who are Caucasian identifying in the context of the world of, of folks of color. color yeah. um, how do you participate in a way that's actually really inclusive and, and really fun and, and positive? And I think the 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 word is also action. I feel like there's a lot that people feel so overwhelmed. Like I don't know what to do. I've got this privilege, and I I, I grew up in this system, and I know more, and I'm educated. And the truth is, like, there's so many tools that you can use. Yeah, do something. Just do something. Totally. But I feel like that conversation is so difficult to have sometimes yeah. when you do come from a privileged background. I feel like everybody who I've spoken to has come from who's come from that. Mm. I feel like they can't necessarily. It's like the guilt is too much. Yep, I relate to that. So I, they can't, they can't, you know, even see how they can have a gentle conversation with somebody just to find out. And a question is good, right? Curiosity is the only way that we can connect. Totally. And I think um, people are really afraid of their own peer group. Um, so if one a member of your peer group sees that you're trying to do something different or trying mm. to make a difference, they tend to feel like it's a reflection of themselves. It's like when you tell somebody that you're vegetarian and they immediately <laughs> feel defensive. Or in your case, when you tell somebody drink. you don't drink, and they feel defensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And I and we yeah. definitely relate to that. That you know people feel like they have to explain themselves when you are actually just share, sharing something about yourself. So it's a very similar dynamic. And I think people. Um, we do have to do that work to say, listen, I'm not going to let somebody distract me. Mm. I'm going to be clear that I want to do something and I want to do something good. We tend to throw shade at each other's activism. We say, oh, well, you're only donating. Mm. You're only writing checks. You're yeah. only tweeting. Mm. You're only volunteering. Mm. You only are making this organization so that you can benefit yourself. We mm. love to criticize. And mm. I don't subscribe to that. I do think it's safer to actually be validating each other and encouraging each other. I feel very moved by that, what you just said, I have to say, because so often people are so quick to criticize sharing things on Facebook and like you can't share a petition on Facebook or you can't share something on Twitter. And even sometimes I get a bit defensive. Like if somebody's sharing something about 
elephants in Africa. And hmm. I'm like, oh, you, you know why that American, is? It's you know? because, you know <laughs> what it is? You, I think the reason actually why we do like to criticize each other's activism is because sometimes we question the other person's intention. I think that's really what it is. Is it yeah. genuine or are you trying to get a pat on the back? And perhaps that's where criticism is a good balancing effect mm. because we want to encourage folks to do it for the right reason. We don't want to encourage folks to be doing activism to be considered, you know, cool mm. in their community Tokenized or to- yeah, yeah, exactly. Or to feel like they can now sleep at night and that kind of thing. That's mm. very, um, I think that is the wrong intention. Mm. So maybe that's why we were so quick to criticize each other's actions. Mm. And for us who are doing activist work, no matter what that looks like, mm. I'm constantly asking myself, what's the intention? Mm. And, you know, it's... I love that. Yeah. That's such a... It's, it's a very... I think that I haven't really broached the topic of intention mm. that much, mm. but I think in, in a kind of existential way I have, but not so direct like mm. this. Mm. And it's such a beautiful... In Judaism, which is what I grew up with, mm. there's the, the number three is really important because one, you're making a decision. Two, you really, really, if you're making, if you're repeating that behavior, mm-hmm. you've made the decision to repeat it. Mm. If you do it a third time, mm. you really have the intention behind that. it. Wow. So when a bride gets married, mm. when a woman gets married, you circle your partner three times. Three times. I love that. I just got goosebumps. That's and beautiful. whether it's actually, it's not actually a woman, it could be both. Mm. It could be man or a woman, mm. depending on which sect, you know, if you're Orthodox or Reformed. Okay. And I love intention and I love speaking about it in relation to art, mm. especially because I feel like even being an activist mm. as you are, mm. you your intention could be good. But then somebody who's writing a story about you mm-hmm. or somebody who comes into contact with mm. you might also not have that intention and mm. then box you yep, yep, into yep, that. Yep. So how have you managed to navigate that? This is so perfect. We're flowing so well. The answer is consistency. Yeah. The answer is very simple. It's consistency. You just have to look at someone's track record. If tomorrow I decide to care about an issue inauthentically that I've mm. never, ever talked about, never cared about, but I realize I, I personally, as some sort of artist, think it might get me more Instagram followers if I now participate <laughs> in this random conversation, yeah. right? Because this is when we criticize folks for, for caring about feminism now that Me Too is culturally relevant, mm-hmm. you know, when, when they've never cared about it. That's when people get criticism. Yeah. It's similar. It's if I noticed, oh my gosh, environmental justice is a hot button issue. Mm-hmm. And I know that if I post about it, I'm going to get more followers. That is a wrong intention mm. to be posting about something because you are not genuinely trying to push the issue forward. You mm. are trying to self-serve and that's the problem. Consistency is the opposite effect. Consistency is like when folks were looking, you were doing it. When folks were not looking, mm. you were doing it. You have a passion. You're motivated just by the actual work itself because it's rewarding. Mm. You know, When I work with the kids for an hour in the jail cell, it gives me so much energy. It gives me so much joy. It Obviously, I also feel intensely sad at times afterwards depending on where i am uh on what phase of my cycle i am on also um (laughs) but or just the day or just the day you spend a day day for sure you don't know how you're gonna meet anybody either totally where they're gonna be at as well yeah so i think that's the real thing you have to look at is the consistency is has the person been doing that and also if you're an artist and someone writes a bad review about you Mm. or says something bad you know, when I ran the London Marathon bleeding freely in 2015, the story mm. went viral. Mm. And it was a really important lesson for me because 
I was so untouched by the negative. I was laughing the whole way through because mm. it was such a bad. I was so personally proud of the run. What was? Can you tell me a little bit about it? For sure. I remember being at the start line of the London Marathon and being on day one of my period unknowingly. I was just hoping I would get it later that week, mm. and I had never run a, a marathon in my life, and and let alone on the days of my cycle and my training, I would have mm. just opted out and chilled that day. And I didn't want to quit the marathon, you know, I, but I legit yeah. didn't know. I was like, what happens to people run, yeah, what you know, you, what, what do you to do? do? So yeah. like many of us, you know, who have been caught unprepared on our cycle, I remember evaluating my options and I was like, well, a, a pad causes chafing. Mm. I don't have any kind of pad on me. I don't have a menstrual cup on me. Mm. I maybe a tampon, I suppose so. But mm. I just, I didn't want like a half in half out <laughs> situation for yeah. for four hours i didn't have an extra one either to like change out I, there's no privacy on a marathon course so mm. i just remember being like i'd rather bleed freely yeah and just run and and see what happens then and i knew it was a punk rock move like bleeding freely yeah. from anywhere is like a punk rock move trying to run 26 miles yeah but i ran We're trying to run period also amen <laughs> exactly and so i remember just being like fuck it i'm gonna do this and i ran and i was like bleeding it was awesome and i crossed the finish line and i was just so genuinely proud of my own body of my own accomplishment mm. of having graduated i had just graduated harvard business school i had oh, finished yeah, this I tour you. yeah i had just finished this tour with MIA. It was just like this amazingly powerful emotional run. Mm. And I crossed the finish line and I wrote about this experience and I wrote about in the context of combating menstrual stigma. The fact that me running is such a radical thing that me as a female and as a person who bleeds mm. uh, prioritizing my own comfort in that moment is considered such a radical thing mm. the story went viral and with all the negative was all the positive but the interesting thing i wanted to bring it back to the artist listening mm. is that that negative feedback would have destroyed me yeah had the intention been inauthentic but the intention of the run was so genuine and mm. I was so proud of it. And I had, I had owned the run because it wasn't supposed to be a virally engineered story. Yeah, it wasn't even supposed to be premeditated. No, and it wasn't yeah. even supposed to be an activist mm. act. It was just me trying to do what I would do. And my mm. friends who know me, they're like, you would fucking run a marathon bleeding. <laughs> then go and fucking put a tampon in. Yeah. Like, we know you and you would fucking do that, you know? So it felt real. Yeah. And, and so that's the thing. You are. And so mm. if we do feel sensitive to something, if we do shut down because of what someone says to us, and mm. I constantly am trying to feedback this work for myself, mm. we have to ask ourselves, whoa, I'm really sensitive to that that really struck a nerve that art that that reviewer mm. or that friend of mine or what that person just said really got me riled up mm. what, what's that work that i have to do why did why did i feel called out mm. do you know what i mean mm. have you ever done a bwrt by is the that way? the same as e- myers-briggs it's like um it's brain i don't know what it stands for i could probably google if we weren't in a vault but if we were in a vault <laughs> with no reception um bwrt is like brain reworking it stands for brain reworking therapy something therapy. is it kind of like hypnosis so strangely enough it is that makes sense which i would never have ever i've definitely done some stuff like that yeah Yeah, for sure where we have like negative thought patterns that go through our minds over and over again and And our thoughts become yeah and you undo the exactly for sure and what we have to do is undo those negative thought patterns and re rewire them as you said so that our positive thoughts then become our positive actions especially when you are creating when you have that uh, self-doubt and or you have that work 
you, you're already doing all of that work in terms of the craft. And then you also need to do it in terms of your personal relationship so that yes. that can hopefully affect it. Yeah. And then weirdly what BW, I'd never heard of it. And I work with my, I can't call her therapist because she's more of a coach. Yeah. Life she's coach. A, mentor. She's, you know what I'd like to call her is a facilitator. Mm. So what she does is essentially she works with heart math. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've, and I have asthma and heart math is amazing when mm. you're breathing it's not meditation. It's almost energizing. Because mm. meditation sometimes makes me a bit sleepy. And I actually need to more, be energized. Yeah. Because yep. I don't drink and have caffeine yeah. and things yep. like that. So I feel low energy a lot. And BWRT, weirdly, it shifted so much of my work thing. I thought I was going to do it for personal shit that was going on in my life. And it weirdly helped in the work aspect in terms of creating mm. because that negative uh, it's like a it's a switch mm-hmm. and what bwrt does is that it just it takes the charge out of stuff mm. and i feel like that's and again going back to what we're talking about if you take the charge out of things sometimes things that are so heightened things that really make you feel awful mm. you can then have that air to create i love and that be clearer it's so true and, my, yeah. my best friend is always reminding me of that she's like dude like where you put your energy is like what your reality is but like i never understood when people said that to me because <laughs> my energy was everywhere because right. that's how i connect right and i like like to feel things mm. and touch things and see things and do things and weirdly when you take a charge out of the thing it's not that it is less important which I find sometimes when you put your energy to something or if you or if you don't put your energy to something it's choosing where you your priorities are and I feel like taking a charge out of negativity doesn't it it just puts it into a box mm. and then you can move on from it mm. and I can't even imagine as an artist in this world that we are in now Mm. so how do you feel like you've been able to deal with that as well in terms because i know your future is female that's a huge thing for you and that slogan is so important for me um but how do you feel like you've dealt with being making sure that you're really talking about everybody yeah that's a great question i think it's kind of like when we say black lives matter and Mm. they come at us with that all lives matter rhetoric it's like well listen you know not uh, not all lives are being mass incarcerated and gunned down in this country so we have to say black lives are black black lives matter we have Mm. to remind you until that work is no longer necessary it's like Mm. you know it's like when we say save the dolphins it doesn't mean kill the whales and so when Mm. we say the future is female it's about valuing femininity and feminine energy in all of us regardless Mm. of what our gender identity is and moreover it's about saying how do we value emotional intelligence instead of this sort of brute force aggression that we've seen, at least with this president in the fucking White House and with, you know, yeah. CEO styles of leadership? Yeah. What if instead we said we would be prioritizing collaboration mm. instead of competitiveness? What if we were linked and not ranked? You know, we assumed that we are all br- bringing something to the table equally mm. instead of this hierarchy mentality that we have. And so understanding what my feminism even is and knowing inward what it is, mm. I definitely think that's a big theme in our podcast discussion today at large is what is the intention? What is the intention? And I am very clear that my feminism is this belief that what feminine energy has to offer is mm. healing for all people. 
it's leading with love it's leading with compassion it's leading with peacefulness it's leading with that sort of heightened sense of self-awareness and intelligence that i try my best to carry with in the world Mm -hmm. and uh and that's why i love this phrase the future is female it's it's aspirational it's saying wow when our systems that are very aggressive and led from the masculine have often worked for us but Mm. also sometimes fail for us and fail for many people how do we have an alternative Mm. and so that's why it's easy for me to to have a feminism that i believe is accessible for all types of people um regardless of their gender identity their sexual orientation their their race their sort of ability in this world um because it's it's really leading from from love Mm. so did you move from were you born in america yes and then you went back yes and then you came back yes okay so when you came back did your interest in music shift into where you thought what into things that you thought you should listen to or what was around you at the time like how much because i almost want to i wish i could take one of those like harry potter spells and go back in into time. your life such a but cool question specifically just to hear what was playing I love you that. Know, around you at the time. I definitely remember loving music when I was young and being in India. But it was really after that experience having been bullied in mm. middle school when I actually felt empowered to just play it myself. Instead of going to consume other people's music, I was drumming, I was DJing, I was playing bongos, congas, any kind of percussion I can get my hands on. I was just learning all the patterns. Why did you think you went to that? Sorry to interrupt. I think I understood the sort of tomboy rebelliousness of it i think i knew mm-hmm. the drums were just fucking cool yeah. i went to an all-girls school too so we would always be taught it was still retro even for how feminist it was it was also retro in a way because we had to wear skirts and we mm-hmm. had to play the flute and we learned how to play <laughs> violin and we all had yeah. to learn how to sing and we also you know it was fucking the middle 2000s mm-hmm. but still we were learning these rather quote-unquote appropriate for girls type instruments and while we did have djembes in school while there was um some percussion there was not there wasn't like a house drum kit Mm. the way you might have in a co-ed school in the dusty closet somewhere i remember as a kid masculine i never thought of how masculine a drum kit is but you're so right yeah the action of it everything yeah your, your legs are open yeah you, got your, you know you got everything's true. in the middle yeah that's true i never thought about how i thought about the act of being it's aggressive and it's mm-hmm, physical mm-hmm. but i never thought of it being masculine yeah you make a good point it's true and i think that's how we understand it in our culture that the men are better at it just because of anatomy or whatever but that's the thing is that we can't teach women to aspire to what the men are doing we have to give these kinds of you know and then we're at Moogfest. 2019 this is something that i'm talking about a lot during my workshops here Mm -hmm. about giving analog synthesizers and like heavy big modular synths and Mm -hmm. drum sets and things like that to folks who don't traditionally play those instruments because not because we're we're trying to force them to play like the the older white men who Mm -hmm. tend to play those instruments but to just play like themselves Mm -hmm. what does it sound like if i give my dj rig to a 12 year old young black girl in the incarcerated center in downtown LA. Mm. She did an amazing job. But those native instruments, <laughs> you know, uh, tractor controllers tend to be played by skinny white mm. dudes from Berlin. Like that's <laughs> the look, you know? And so the the, the so beauty true. of the juxtaposition and seeing what someone who's never played that instrument can do is amazing. I mean, think mm. of the reverse of it. Think of the colonizer mentality. When you mm. had all the white dudes going to India to learn sitar and then exactly. bringing it back, started a movement mm. in the 60s and 70s of hippie culture mm. and listening to psychedelic music and it was wonderful mm. so imagine if we flip that that theory on its head mm. 
do you think though that learning how to because in i as a as i write about i'm on the other side of you and i've never wanted to be a musician but i always thought that learning an instrument was a huge gift and and i wanted to so when i was like 18 i learned the drums i got back from london i was like oh i wanted my dad played the drums and he would also finger drum on his like steering wheel so it was like a really sweet memory that i have but there's something different about playing the drums that I think a lot of people don't tap into. Yes. And especially, I love thinking about the placement of where a drummer is, is that you're in the middle, you're in the back most of the time and you're in the middle so you can see your bassist, you can see your guitarist, you can see your lead singer, usually in the traditional setup. And I love that people don't really take notice and you've just got this roar coming from the back. And I almost love that the drummer is placed there because they are at the back, but they are also kind of in the front because they're driving everything. So do you feel like when you started playing drums for, you know, you were with, as you said, you were with MIA and who else did you play drums with? I mean, there's so many... I've collaborated for, uh, with so many people. Yeah, for TV on the radio, for Thievery Corporation. Oh, oh Thievery Corporation. Yeah. Sorry, and TV on the radio is, yeah. I'm like, I can't believe I'm and scratching. I'm like physically having I a reaction. Know. They're the best. <laughs> they really are. It's about making your heroes your friends. I forgot to answer your question earlier about what was playing when I was young, yes. but I was listening to Thievery Corporation and TV on the radio. That's so great was decades later, I mean, the best, the best. And decades later, they're my friends. Um, Tunde was the head of TV on the, you know, the lead singer. He was just taking a photo of, wearing my merch as a 18 year old i would wear his you know mm. it's so full circle but yeah i've played for them i've played for lizzo i've played for Kelani. um i've played for amber kaufman who was in the dirty projectors mm-hmm. for many years um yeah just wonderful wonderful folks who are my heroes you know um how, how is it then to play solo is that we're gonna ask not necessarily i feel like i was more gonna ask because you have never felt like part of a band as mm, such. True. So I was going to ask, how it w- how do you lend your identity to somebody else's? Because you mentioned the all these bands. You, you, you ha- I mean, my brain works in pictures, but you have a visual. The minute you think of TV on the radio, yep. you, Wolf Like Me and Return to Cookie Mountain, you the think best. Dirty Projectors. I mean, yep. uh, crazy. And then you think you have the, the visceral reactions to yep. all these bands yep. that were so formative in our lives yeah. when we were younger. But how did you, how did you navigate putting your identity to bands that had their own? I think that's a wonderful question. I think the answer is baked into what you said is, is having an identity. Like when you think of Madame Gandhi, you think mm. yellow hair, you think yeah. wild, <laughs> cr- like curly hair, you think drums, you think percussion, you think cowbells you think funky you think colorful feminist Mm. political all of those different things features female yellow you know and Mm. um and i think knowing exactly what your identity is and then being able to see like how do i modify that so it fits the persona of tv on the radio so that it fits the persona of mia uh, so that it fits the persona of kehlani you you just make the venn diagram of the overlapping similarities Mm. very connected and tv on the radio you know they were so supportive of my work for for years just because they're very open political all pisces dudes they're all yeah kip and tunde the (laughs) the, the main dudes they're my dear friends and they're both pisces you know we talk about that a lot Um, yeah and uh 
And so that's really the best way. And I think you had asked me something earlier that I wanted to answer too, which was about, oh yeah, just about the drummer being in the back. It mm-hmm. is true. So I think I've liked the role of being able to support and like pop into what other people are doing in a collaborative way. But for my project, the drums are right front and center and there's mm-hmm. percussion on the stage and there's yellow shakers everywhere and the drums are yellow and the percussion mm-hmm. is yellow. And today at Moogfest, um, I hosted a, what I called like my, the Gandhi own your voice jam session yes, tell me and the format that. was super cool i had like a u-shape of tables and then i had a bunch of different synthesizers and ableton live rigs and sensory percussion and triggers all set up on the tables and then i put my drum set right in the center so that it was very clear that the drums of this particular jam were sort of the the leader mm-hmm. and also um being using that leadership role to elevate others Mm. to encourage folks to swap in and out of the different synths to notice when someone was soloing and give them that Mm. um, encouragement and then also encourage them to wind down to let the next person solo Mm. so i had a mic at the drums and i was playing the drum set and, and really kind of showing the drums in a different leadership light how did you feel like they how was the crowd it was wonderful they loved it because people people especially as we get older Mm -hmm. we we are sort of socialized to dim our light and to to kind of quiet ourselves so simultaneously it's like two things are going on Mm -hmm. one holistically men women all of us every gender in between we're taught to dim our light Mm -hmm. but at the same time when you have a mixture of genders the men tend to be more alpha because from a younger age they are socialized to take more risk than the women Mm -hmm. and so then they don't mind hopping on the mic they don't mind playing instruments they've never even seen in their whole life whereas Mm -hmm. the women if they see an instrument they've never seen in their whole life they definitely immediately assume that they're not qualified to play it or it's just a fucking button and the men are just playing all types of dumb buttons i think women are like i'm not going to try something if i look like a fucking idiot Idiot. and that was the purpose (laughs) of the experiment too i said you know many of us are making electronic music by ourselves because there's so many ugly quote-unquote ugly sounds that have to be made before you unlock the gems and mm-hmm. even for me with my singing i'm singing all types of wrong notes just to get the idea out before i hit <laughs> yeah. the right notes and so what does it feel like to practice that bravery in front of other people mm-hmm. and to practice embodying a safe space so like if you mm-hmm. notice somebody else is making some crazy sounds next to you don't walk away from them be open with them encourage mm-hmm. them let them find and land on that interesting it's so patch awkward for people if they're not tapping into that already exactly. you know so you putting them and obviously putting somebody into an uncomfortable position is crucial for change which is crucial for vulnerability which is crucial for courage like all of those things exactly and we have to teach that bravery and not perfection you know and i think a lot of women we don't put ourselves in the mix until we're literally like the number one violin player (laughs) in the whole fucking planet then we think we're qualified i've struggled with that my whole life is that i would never let anybody see anything i wrote until it was at its best point which as you know as a writer yourself as an artist yourself you can how can you wait until that time totally it doesn't exist also because once you've like quote-unquote arrived you're already another version of yourself and that's also part of this notion of bravery not perfection like i think part of the madame gandhi mission is very meta like i don't Mm. sit on things for years and years and years as soon as something's Mm. done i fucking put it out because i want the next generation of kids to be like oh what like she's brown she's Mm. queer she's indian she's female and she's putting out this music and i can make fucking better music (laughs) yeah that's what we want you know we want other people to see that it's easy and that it's doable and that like there's no backlash Mm -hmm. and and that it's needed that's what i want folks to see then what is the thing that they haven't seen yet i think it's it's 
the I think for my project I think there's a lot of independence I think I take a lot of Mm. roles in my own project there's no there's not this mentality that I'm waiting for funding that I'm waiting for a press that I'm waiting for a blog to care or I'm waiting for Spotify to playlist me Mm. I made my own fucking playlist grew it to 5,000 people and now I'm not not only do I playlist myself I playlist Mm. all of the young up-and-coming femme identifying artists Mm. who who would never get playlisting on Spotify otherwise Mm. and are so grateful that their song is debuting on the Madame Gandhi Futures female playlist and and they'll come to my talks and say hi Kieran I made you this it's a gift because six months ago you were the first person who ever like playlisted me and thank you so much and that's it like we're not here waiting for the white men to eventually quote-unquote let us in I'm not interested I I don't even want to participate in what they're doing I want to do our own thing obviously Spotify you know and all these tech platforms we're very grateful for the infrastructures they're building for mm. for tech leading you know music and taking us into the next era mm. there, there's always eternal gratitude but most of the time with that power those folks don't necessarily take the responsibility and take everybody with them on the journey mm. many folks get left behind so mm. it's about being self-aware how do i be par- part of the change how do i be proactive about the change instead yeah. of desperately trying to get onto somebody else's fucking playlist mm. and also the change is happening now because we know that Spotify could also end tomorrow and then everybody's playlists and library curation. Exactly. (laughs) So I I love that concept of putting something out immediately because you are the trajectory of who you are from creation to putting it out shifts. Yes. And I talk to a lot of creators too. I say that song is just a timestamp of your emotions in Mm -hmm. that moment. And so for me, the times that I've had to wait a long time for somebody else to help me like finish out a song Mm -hmm. or for me myself to get it together, to finish it out, you're bored of that song a year later, or the Mm -hmm. feelings are not as relevant. So the best is to try to create quickly around the time of inspiration Mm -hmm. and pushing that concept one, one moment further it's also about us investing in our own skill sets so that we can have the tools that we need to finish the song. Mm-hmm. Most folks are depending on other producers, other technicians, other engineers to help them finish the music. Fuck that. We have to teach ourselves. Mm-hmm. Get a laptop. Learn how to use an audio interface. Use how to mic your, learn how to mic yourself because mm-hmm. then we're not waiting around. We're just doing it. Mm-hmm. But the act of just doing something... Is a solo act. It's yeah. not collaborative. Yeah. So about that, it's it's kind of like collaboration to me needs to feel like both people are bringing equal skill sets to the table Mm -hmm. and if we as women and femmes and folks in this sort of minority don't feel like we have enough power and self and knowledge to Mm -hmm. have an equal collaboration you end up being vulnerable to exploitation the Mm -hmm. amount of times that i've heard my friends say damn i have to pay this producer so much money to finish my song oh my god we got into a fight and now my stems are trapped in their Mm -hmm. laptop and i can't get my stems to my own song back i also think that people need sometimes a pat on the back or a push which is totally fine being a creative right you you sometimes do need somebody to push you into the direction so yes you need that empowerment to do it yourself and and just release it but sometimes you do need a bit of a handhold to get there especially folks who feel that they have you know been bullied out of something or shoved aside or stepped over so i really like that both work it's not less empowering i think the difference is if you don't know anything about production if you Mm. don't know anything about melodies if you don't like i don't know anything about chords for Mm. example so if i don't know anything about chords or about um 
music theory mm. and I'm on my journey, but let's just like, I pretty much know very little. Mm. So that puts me already in a vulnerable position. If I'm telling somebody, Hey, I need you to play something that sounds happy because they're mm. going to play that interpretation of that. And I'm grateful, but it's definitely a more empowered position for me to say, Hey, I would love to try an E major chord here so that it sounds bright. And I know what I'm hearing in my head. And maybe I'm not, I don't have the dexterity in my fingertips to play it on the piano. They mm. do. So I mm. just, it's just kind of, that it's like then you're at least in an empowered leadership position and saying hey i don't know how to do this but i know Mm. what i need you to do Mm. you're still in the position of leadership it's like when a ceo is like hey i don't know how to actually um do the like data analysis on the actual nasa like flight you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean yeah. but I know what what needs to get done mm. and this is what needs to get done mm. it's, it's sort of it's sort of that mentality whereas if I come in and I don't know anything it's just going to be whatever they say mm. because I'm in this sort of more vulnerable position so that's sort of the the nuanced difference that I was describing mm. the more we know the more we come in with confidence than with sort of a, a disempowered position because mm. I've experienced both yeah where are you now in terms of creating like how I wouldn't I don't even want to ask you about your process because I'm oh, sure love it changes to share it. all the time. But where are you now in terms of... Uh, well, I began producing um, in 2014, so it's 2019. So I've been in five years Ableton producer. Mm-hmm. And I think the way I tend to do things is like I love to sketch out the concept for the song and get it as far as possible on my own. And then either just finish the song on my own and be like, cool, I love how it is solo, it's fire. Mm-hmm. Or like get a homie, like my friend Opal, she'll come and like lay in some keys. Or my other friend, Anata, she's like amazing Russian flute player. She mm-hmm. kills it on the flute. Or, um, you know, my other friend in Montreal, she played a bunch of sax on my stuff we're always sending files back and forth so that's like one way or in the case of my other song bad habits or Mm -hmm. top not turn up where there was somebody else's sound that i loved Mm -hmm. i got the um i got the arrangement not, not the arrangement but like i got the um the sort of rough sketch of the sounds that I wanted, mm-hmm. but like put in some really shitty like Ableton drums as like a placeholder. <laughs> yeah. So it literally sounds like, like it sounds like, <laughs> like bad tinny. computer yeah. music, yeah, like tinny and like terrible, but just, I need to just get the idea down. Cause I was like, I'm not going to use this. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't really know how to write the right African inspired Nigerian kind of baseline mm-hmm. that I really didn't needed it to be done well. And so there was a couple of things that I was very self-aware, like somebody else is going to be more equipped for this job and also arranging. Sometimes, you know, like I don't know if I want this to be more instrumental or more like poppy or whatever so for bad habits I got it as far as I could and then I kind of like talked to the universe and I was like I don't know who's gonna finish this song but it's not me and I don't know the person yet I didn't have anybody in my immediate mind Mm. and then I went to South by Southwest and I met this young queer producer from Dallas named Zach Witness Mm -hmm. who had done the last Erica Badu record you know produced it start to finish in his fucking mom's house and did it and I was like this is the kind of person I want to work with he's humble he's gifted he's smart he's funny he's a cool dude and we just spent like two weeks hanging out in LA and finishing Mm -hmm. this song together so that's kind of like what like one the two main ways I do things either I'm making stuff solo by myself and finishing it solo and I like the feeling of that Mm -hmm. I have a vision other times I'm like yo this I'm like trying to achieve a certain sound that's not my own so let me collaborate you know that it's not your own yeah I feel like that's a huge it's a huge gift to know where you are needed and your your you know where what you can give agency and what you can take away because I feel like empowering those around you is doing that. Yes, you know what I mean? Totally. So especially with your music. So when you were in school and then you created your own music because you just everything that you were hearing 
you wanted to create it yourself. So then when did you start performing? Was mm. it as a drummer or did you find that later? I was always drumming for other people. When mm. I was at Harvard, after I had worked at Interscope, I was drumming for MIA. Um, when the menstrual marathon story went viral in 2015, I would be asked to public speak all over the world. Mm. And I was doing that. It was very, very powerful time in my life and very impactful. And then folks would say, oh, cool. And you're a musician, like play us a couple tunes. <laughs> and I'd be like, yo, yeah, like I just know how to drum for it. other people. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't have my own music. And a yeah. mentor of mine was like, dude, you better fucking make some music because you're, you're in a lucky position. You're mm. in the opposite. It's like, you don't even have music. People want to hear your music. Most of the time it's the opposite. Yeah, you need, they're begging people to listen to your music. So, so it was just, uh, really a blessing where i would just start doing things and the one time i remember it was this planned parenthood big fundraiser in mm. in 2015 fall a couple months after my story had gone viral and i was asked to headline the fundraiser mm. i didn't have any music i didn't have any music but mm. i just put together like a random half an hour quote-unquote madam gandhi show which was like me playing covers of like mia songs yeah. and then like two of my own beats and then like a long percussion jam with two other female instrumentalists mm. on the stage you know what i mean like I, i'm i like it's this notion that we've talked about in the podcast. Mm. You have to fail forward. Like I didn't mm. care if that show was terrible. I used it as a reason to have to put together mm. something so that I just would start. I don't know. I, it's it's so it's I, I can't even use the word inspiring because it's it's so far beyond that. It's it's like mo it's moving. Like it, it's there's emotion. There's motion in what you've done, and I feel like there's it's so it's so rare to meet somebody who takes that it's not even a risk it just it's it's the necessity to mm. have to keep moving mm. forward you have to keep creating That's and you have it. to work through all of that and you know what i think we as musicians and creators forget and i think it was like traveling as a kid that really taught me this skill set is like sometimes we forget that not most people are not musicians if it's a show it'll be a fucking show they don't yeah. care whether you're the one singing the songs or that it's like mm. you're a music Think about a DJ. A DJ is playing all other people's music. And we have multi-million dollar <laughs> industries around just DJing. Mm. Where people are playing Vegas and smoke and lights and fire and all this shit. They're, they're literally... Yeah, because they're mixing all their fucking people's music. Can you imagine millions <laughs> know, of dollars these people it's make? Amazing. <laughs> of course, they're producing their own music as well. Many of them. But mm. the point is, is that when I was doing that 2015 show, I just remembered... Most of these folks are not musicians. Mm. No one is sitting there criticizing me more than I would probably be criticizing mm -hmm. myself. Yeah. And so having that really clear sense of awareness is so important because as long as I'm having a good ass time, they're going to have a good ass time. And so that's really the, the mentality of failing forward. And listen, I've had terrible shows. Mm. I've had terrible shows for every terrible show. You get the amazing shows. How Wait, else can you, you learn? Do you know that it's terrible? It's my feeling that I didn't connect with the audience okay. or that I was singing off key or that mm. the show, many people didn't come so that I'm performing for fewer people, which I don't like. Do I like, I, I tend to fail in that environment. Mm. I tend to do much better when there's way more people because then I'm feeding off of their energy, you know? Is that because just the intimacy of having like a big a, a room that's meant to fit a lot of people and one or two faces 
it it's makes that you feel I rely, It's that I rely on the audience to participate and audiences mm-hmm. feel more safe to participate if they feel in like numbers. they're one in like a huge sea of people because then they yeah. feel more protected. If it's just like eight of them and they're like sort of in the back of the bar, oh, like I ones in the you. front, then they don't feel as brave to participate. So then it's like double work on me to bring them closer or beg mm-hmm. them to come to the front. We have all types of tricks designed in a Madame Gandhi show. Like, yeah. for example, we Tell pass me. out stickers like in the second or third track of the show because it forces people to rush to the front because they want to get free whatever. <laughs> and now we have the entire group of people pushed up to the front instead of doing that awkward sort of American thing where yeah, everyone's like halfway back. through. Yeah, yeah. Halfway back the venue. Yeah, because people that. don't they either They're think so it's afraid. too eager to be in the front or they think it's embarrassing or they think they might block somebody else's view mm. or they they don't want to be too visible mm. i mean my girlfriend is here she can tell us why she doesn't like to be in the front row <laughs> we can learn something about the psychology of that um but it's very I, you know it's just a why very don't normal you thing like being in the front i don't like being in the center of attention at karen's or madame gandhi's show putting her on the microphone yeah <laughs> I, I definitely do not like it this is very uncomfortable but madame gandhi definitely pushes you out of your comfort zone so this is definitely um key um i'd rather sit in the back or like walls and corners are my best friends totally and also do you feel like you have a better view because you're comfortable like i sometimes even if i'm in the front row and i can see everything and i'm uncomfortable it's like my eyes just don't want to work like i just i just don't i can't see anything i can't take anything in so do you feel like you're almost more comfortable and can see more when you are standing at in the ease. back? You're yes, correct. Ease. Yes, yeah. yeah. I feel like I do feel more comfortable in the back away from like any center of attention. Yeah. But how do you, I mean, that's not a bad thing, right? It's just different because. It's, yeah, it's a different point of view. It's a different <laughs> point of view. Exactly. Do you like the shows where you feel like you're surrounded by people or is it you retreating to a place that's safe where like you can leave or go as you please the, the lateral yeah. retreating to a place where i feel safe yeah <laughs> yeah i think that's I, I don't know i think it's wonderful i struggle because sometimes i have to get up close with my camera so i've got to be like right under your nose and unfortunately that's sometimes really uncomfortable because sometimes when you put yourself in that position mm. you are the center of attention and it's not great because you just want to work or watch. So I totally relate to that completely. And I feel like there's a lot of shit that's given to people who are like in the corner, in the dark. <laughs> you know? I feel like that happens sometimes. It's true. I mean, I feel comfortable in the back, so I don't care. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't mind. Yeah. I don't mind. The only, the only issue. The only, the only issue is if we're both in the audience of the other of a show. Okay. And I want to be you in the front be row. The <laughs> and she wants to be in the back. Oh, my God. And so then it's a give and take. Yeah, she goes in the front and I go in the back. Well, that's not what I want either. I don't want me in the front and her in the back. So, I want to go to a show with my girlfriend yeah. and watch the fucking show. Do you feel bad, though, standing at the back when you want to and you're just doing it to, to make yourself... Feel. No, I feel fucking annoyed. It's part yeah. of the work that we have to do. Guys, <laughs> no, I'm married, and that is what we go through. So it's not the work because you are where you are. It's, it's just it, it constant. I'm just like we're going to a show. Like I, this is involved. my no. It's kind of like this is my comfort zone. Yeah. So let me like. Like, you're not comfortable whether you're in the back or the front, really. (laughs) Like, let's call it a spade a spade. Like, 
even Michelle in the beginning, I used to date Michelle and beg her to come to my show. She wouldn't fucking yeah. come to my shows. It would make me cry. I would be yeah. telling my friends, I'm like, I really like this person, but like, she won't even come to my damn show. I'm yeah, a fucking full time so musician. You're so lucky to have that. I'm telling you, if you had anything other than that, no, you it wouldn't would be work. A no, it wouldn't work. Yeah. Like, your love has to come to your show because that's mm-hmm. your like main. That's like your self expression. That's like if they don't like your art, they don't like you. It's like the worst thing ever. It feels. But like I don't sucks. think that even means. I think that having somebody who has that individuality against somebody who's got such a high profile very important public it's true persona it's is true. really important i see what you're saying i because thought you were saying liking the art versus not but oh no, no, no you're no, absolutely no. right i feel like there's something really powerful about like you not even wanting to go if, it, <laughs> if it's not going to make you feel calm. no but really i know what you're saying but also i'm like we need to get like a cut out figure of you and just like hold it in the crowd no that's not it guys you want her to want to love your music like i want her to want to come on her own volition she does it's just the format of it the format (laughs) i do love your music and i sing and i do know every single word because i feel like i have both i've got sometimes i can be in the front and be okay and sometimes i'm much better off at the back but i hate also i'm I need glasses and I wear glasses sometimes. <laughs> so, oh my God, what, guys? What happened? It was just cute because you were like, I just have a very practical reason as to why I need to stand in the front row. It's really nothing more than just basic pragmatism. No, it's true though. But also because I, and you know, I don't know if this, if you'll relate to this, but I also think coming from where I come from, we didn't get... Maybe you will. I think both of you probably will. But you didn't... It's not like... In America, you get any band you ever want any time of the day, any place you want to go. You know, like, even if this town is small, there's going to be a gigantic act coming through. Living in South Africa, you get, like, Lady Gaga. Or, like, the first concert I ever saw was, like, Michael Jackson. You know what I mean? Like, And people are like, oh, that's so cool. And it's like, no, no, no. If It would be cooler if a smaller or indie artist came and i feel like when there is a show that i know if i was younger i would look into the future and go fuck i can't believe you're there you know it still means a lot to me so when he stands at the back and i want to go forward i also need to to validate how far i've come as well mm, if that makes sense it does totally. it's sometimes much it's like enjoying it because you can because the little version of you the didn't novelty have that. is not gone it's true i love that you know? i think that's so true i relate to that and i think when i used to live in india it, my first concert ever i was a third grader and my first concert was in Mumbai, India, because my parents were friends with the CEO of India, Pepsi. Okay. And Pepsi wow. was sponsoring Savage Garden to come to oh, India. And so they oh, knew that I loved it. dancing and singing. <laughs> and they, my mom is fucking amazing and said, she told my dad to not come with her and that she was going to take me instead wow. because she knew that I would love it because my mm. dad was like savage who savage what like I don't even want to go out you know uh to the show and my mom was like let me take little Kiran 
because she will love it and i heard about it with savage garden i was screaming i was so happy my dad's like who even are they and they're like these two australian like queerish kind of dudes. 90s boys and i loved them and so i took my mom and then because they saw that i was a kid they were like let's bring her backstage so i met them <gasps> so anyway i definitely relate though to this notion of the only big the only acts that go to the mm. big to the cities like places in india like south africa mm. are only the corporate sponsored big the events and it feels it doesn't it's not the coolest thing as a kid obviously i was so thrilled to go mm. but it wasn't like we were going to music every day the way i was in new york mm. city where every band was coming through when i was six, 16 17 mm. 18 and and that was a culture i love that that was your first concert because i've heard i don't know what episode i'm on now but i've heard the best concerts like the people throwing out these names and you're like what the f-? and i've spoken to people who've been in the in the industry as well for decades so you're talking about like people who saw paul mccartney or wow. saw the beatles or so you know saw these these things or like i spoke to do you know anjali kidjo yeah i love her she was she was my last guest wow and her first was murray makeba oh is my favorite wow. and i couldn't believe that that was her first That's and i amazing. feel like yours is similar to that because <laughs> i love savage, savage garden, garden. And I feel like like they they were big, but they were not like the main main. They were the main. There, there's something about them that was they had a so personal. Yeah, it's so you true. Know? It's so true. When you went to that concert, did you have that feeling that that was something you were gonna do? Like, when was the time? I did. That- I did because I just I loved it so much, and it made me so happy. And every mm-hmm. time, and I was always a fan. And to this day, like when I love, it's like either I just. I basically have only two modes. Like I'm either completely obsessed with something and like (laughs) I'll tell everybody about it or, and I wasn't, and then the opposite is not that I hate Mm. the thing. I'm just indifferent to Mm. it. Like if, if I'm indifferent to something, it's probably terrible because Mm. when I love something, I just love it so much. I'm like, you need to try this. (laughs) It's a date and it's the best date you'll ever have. And it's from the desert and it's amazing. Or like forcing Michelle, like Michelle used to drink like boring ass black coffee and like think I was so weird. Now I've got her hooked on iced almond milk latte three times a day in Los Angeles because it's the best coffee you'll ever drink. And, and so it's just, it's just little things like that. And so mm-hmm. I think when I go to shows and I am almost as a 30 year old feeling a little sad, like, like nostalgic as you're describing, because mm-hmm. I, I'm, I want to be a fan of someone again. Like I need to be a mm-hmm. fan of someone. I'm, I'm not, I don't feel like there's anyone who I'm like, I'm obsessed with you mm-hmm. and I can't wait to see your show of yours. What, what was the first concert then like the Savage Garden that you saw and you were like, I am a total fan. You are an icon. Yeah. This blew my it, mind. It was when I saw the recorporation for the first of what would become like at least 12 times that I saw them live. And then I ended mm-hmm. up playing, I ended up serving as their percussionist for their 2010 Bonnaroo show. And then when I saw TV on the radio live for the first time, oh I just God. cried. And then I saw them cried. so many times after that. And then last year played uh, percussion for them at their Queens knockdown oh show where they reperformed dear science from start to finish. I know. And so yeah, as, very special. it's very special. Yeah. And so it was those those bands are definitely the ones and i used to bring signs to shows talk about like not being in the front row like i would not only be in the front row i'd be in the front <laughs> row with a sign do you, do you, so handwritten or yeah hand-painted. i would always make hand-painted signs because i wanted to be noticed yeah. like it was like the exact opposite <laughs> strategy like not only was i in the front row like i wanted to have an interaction <laughs> with my favorite artist so you're like a flag holder person yeah it was like you're a like flag yeah the flag and, but, I, oh, but i think also the pisces like empath in me as a performer mm. i wanted to be the fan that like let 
them know how much they meant to me because I intuitively understood that mm. that would add value to them. Yeah, like I course. didn't feel like I was sucking their energy. I was actually yeah. like, don't worry, I got you. Like mm. I'm showing you love because I know how much me being encouraging and excited about you it's makes you feel happy. You. Yeah. Do you Definitely. see signs now when you perform? Um, I've never seen a sign at a Madame Gandhi show, but like fans have done really fun, interesting things. Like I definitely, I crowd surfed when I was in um, Denmark. That was my first time crowd surfing at a show, which was really, really sick. It was Ross Kilda, actually. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah. When did you play Ross Kilda? 2017. Oh my gosh, when was I there? 26, I think I... That is the most gigantic festival I've ever covered. I was there, I think 2016. Yeah, Neil Young played. Who played when you were there? I mean, a million God, fucking so people. Many. That was a strange festival, though. I just remember pe- people peeing everywhere. everywhere. Like it's just a very normal. People, that's yeah. true. The Copenhagen, you know, the Denmark. They just pee everywhere. Yeah, it's very liberated. That yeah. <laughs> and then lastly, I think I wanted to just find out, in terms of moving forward with futures female, and empowering others and working with, you know, kids. How do you feel your art is going to to shift now? That the more people you work with, I'm sure you are experiencing more and you're growing every day. How do you feel like that's going to affect your art going forward? I think it only makes the art more interesting and complex. I think... um I think my perspective as an artist is oftentimes a little bit different. Like, it's not like I grew up as a singer and then at 17 I was signed and yeah. then matched with yeah. all the producers. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I think there's something powerful about having years on this earth and experiences with so many different types of people and mm. cultures. And the fact that the music was actually always just a auxiliary vehicle for the message. Like, I think it's the message that motivates me more than mm. anything, but it's then taking something that i that i enjoy doing Mm. like playing the drums like making beats like singing like public speaking and using those gifts as a means just to share this Mm. message that's really how i think about it and that's also how i teach people as well i'm like we're not asking you to suffer Mm. doing social justice work like i don't subscribe to that Mm. obviously we have to make sacrifices that's one thing but i'm talking about like what's your fuel to make a difference on this earth what is the thing that you will always be doing anyway and how can you use it for good i mean Mm. michelle is a boxer she's gonna be boxing and being athletic for the rest of her life no matter what Mm. and she really wants to take that and and teach young women who Mm. are often taught at the age of 17 here's how to be beautiful here's how to be sexually consumable Mm. here's how to be demure and not own your voice Mm. and she wants to teach them here's how to run yeah here's how to lace up your shoes and Mm. putting some boxing gloves and build up your confidence in the gym Mm. so that when you leave the walls of the gym you have the power to deal with the bullshit that the world has waiting for you Mm. this is the kind of thing that we're trying to encourage people Mm. to do we don't care what it is that your medium is i don't teach other people be a feminist be a musician no Mm. what are you already doing Mm. what do you already love to do and what do you care about Mm. bring the two together so i think it's just more of the same i suppose Mm. and more of the same of embodying that change for other people Mm. i think that's a great way to end Although I probably could talk to you forever. I know. <laughs> Thank the you hobbies. so much. Such a pleasure. And, um, it was just so wonderful having you both here. Can you special say, guest can fighting you see Frankie? Special guest featuring. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah, the bottle fell. That was a great action. Yeah. But thank you thank again. Thank you so much, Lior. And uh, how can people find you? Please do stay in touch on Madame Gandhi social media. I think the best is Instagram. I love yeah. keeping my Instagram alive. I'm touring internationally this year. Hopefully, uh, we'll be back in, in Scandinavia as well as India, Indonesia, 
London, Ibiza. Uh, all these wonderful trips are coming up, uh, which is pretty cool. So stay in touch there. And then stream the, the music on Spotify. Mm. Um, the new album comes out in June. It's the it's called Visions. It's um, definitely about sort of building this brighter world, both in my own personal relations, but also in the real world. And uh, and then follow the Futurist Female playlist. Every Wednesday, we update it with new emerging artists who are who are making and that's big on changes Spotify. on Spotify. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Namaste. <laughs>